We get to talk about money today, everyone's favorite subject. Remember some years ago, early in my ministry, I preached a sermon about money, about giving, and I had mentioned in my introduction that uh, people claim the church is always talking about money. And sure enough, there was a, a man visiting for the first time, and he met me at the door. He says, every time I come to church, you talk about money. I hadn't preached on money for probably many, many months. But it's a subject that is kind of touchy with some people because they love their things, they love their riches. But Paul tells us very clearly that money can be a trap. And we read from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. And Paul says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and, clo- and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given to us. I pray that you would teach us today, that you would give us ears to hear and minds to comprehend the truth of your word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We know that the church is to be a welcoming place, but we have had an unwanted visitor in our building for a few months. Her name was Charity. And it sounds like a nice name, doesn't it? Charity, which means love, but Charity was a church mouse. Came into our office unwanted, unannounced, into the, we call it our conference room, where our children's ministry has some candy stored, and guess what that mouse got into? You guess, some candy. And then I've got a, in my desk drawer, I've got an emergency drawer of snacks. In case Mary Jo gets hungry. Sure enough, Into that drawer, the mouse went and started eating away at Mary Jo's snacks. And so we set a trap in the storage room up there because we figured that's probably where he was uh, or she was. Charity was sleeping. And sure enough, we got it. And Mary Jo was so upset, she went and grabbed that mouse and just threw it out the door. Not really. She doesn't like mice at all. Well, you set a trap for a mouse, put some peanut butter, put some uh, whatever else, they'll, they'll eventually find it and, and they'll get caught. And we find that picture given in First Timothy chapter 6 with money. Verse 9 says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare. A trap. 
And so money can be a trap. The desire for money indeed is a trap. And Paul tells us then two things about this money trap. First of all, he says the desire for money is a trap because it doesn't bring contentment. It doesn't bring contentment. Paul ended the section prior to our text by describing false teachers who are in ministry for money. In verse 5 he says that they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, they use their religion for their own financial gain. But if these people think that money is going to make them happy, Paul says that they are only fooling themselves because contentment is not found in having lots of money. Contentment is found in a living relationship with Jesus. And when you know Jesus, you can be content with very little. Look at verse 8 where Paul says, If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Contentment isn't something that comes naturally to us, is it? All you have to do is look at little children. I was thinking of a parade this morning. Ever seen what little children do when they come with the floats or they throw out the candy? <laughs> I'll tell you, some of those little kids get nasty, knocking little ones over so they can grab all that they can get. Very seldom will you see one that takes someone something and gives it to another. They are after it. You kind of saw it this morning a little bit, didn't you? But it was done in a godly way, a Christian way. Okay, you saw those children gathering around that candy. It's just like, ooh, ooh give me some of that, huh? Okay, that's, that's what we are by nature, aren't we? Contentment is not a part of our nature. Contentment is something that we learn as we experience the power of Jesus in our lives. Notice what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. In verse 10 he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then we find this verse, which we kind of pull out of context sometimes. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is the context of that verse? The context is that of contentment. God enables us, as we walk in fellowship with Him, to learn what it means to be content, because it does not come naturally, does it? Something we learn as we experience the power of Jesus in our lives. Now, one of the reasons why riches do not bring contentment is because we cannot take them with us. Paul says in verse 7, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And Paul is basically reinforcing a principle that we see uh, all throughout Scripture. 
Remember what Job said when he lost all of his possessions in one day? One guy came and said, I was doing this, and the storm came, this came, that came. And Job says, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I came into this world naked. I will leave the same way. That's just the way it is. King Solomon, as he writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, reminds us of this. In chapter 5, verse 10, he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what advantage, or what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? See, there is no advantage to toil for the wind, and yet people get caught in this trap. They think that somehow, as they accumulate all these things, they're going to find joy, they're going to find contentment, they're going to be happy. It's going to make life so wonderful and so meaningful. And it is a trap, isn't it? It's easy to fall into that. I remember one man saying, you know, God cannot trust every Christian with wealth. He said, but I'd sure like to try. (laughs) I sure wish he'd give me a try. There is that within us that just thinks, you know, I know that it's not going to make me happy, but, oh, it would be nice, wouldn't it? Oh, it would be nice. And yet Scripture warns over and over. Someone else is going to take what you've accumulated when you die because you can't take it with them, with you. Uh, someone has said, well, you will never see a U-Haul behind a funeral coach. <laughs> you will not take it with you. And as I was cleaning the garage yesterday, I thought, that's kind of a good thing. I'm going to leave my junk to my kids. They can, they can, they can have it all. And then they can bring it out to the dump and I don't have to do it, right? They could fight over all that that stuff. When John D. Rockefeller died, his aide was asked how much he left behind. (laughs) He wisely said he left it all. He left it all. And so the desire for money is a trap because it doesn't bring contentment. And I'm asking you this morning, are are you searching for contentment in the things of this world? Do you think that money will actually make you happy? Don't get caught in the money trap. It doesn't bring contentment. Second thing Paul says, the desire for money is a trap because it leads to great heartache. And notice how he describes it in verses 9 and 10. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare 
and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Perhaps you think of rich people when you read these verses. But Paul isn't talking here about what you have. He is talking here about what you want to have. He's talking about this desire to become rich. And George MacDonald says, If it be riches that slay you, what matter if it be riches you have or riches you have not? Good question, isn't it? If it be riches that slay you, what does it matter if it's riches you have or wish, riches you wish you had? So you don't have to be rich to be greedy. In fact, the danger may be even more intense for the poor. Some of the most greedy people are those who have little, and that's why they resent people who have more. Isn't that a a problem in our country today? We see this class warfare because there are those who are wealthy and those who are poor, and the poor look at the wealthy and say, Give me some of that. I deserve some of that. And we've got people in our government that say, yes, let's redistribute it. Why? Because there is that insatiable desire in the sinful heart of man to not be content with what we have, but to want more. Someone else has more than I do. I should get some of that. And I will elect someone to take from the rich and give it to me because I'm not as rich as they. If you look at how Paul describes the heartache of those who want to be rich, serious consequences. Notice all the words that he uses to describe it. He says those who want to get rich fall into temptation. And the word fall here is a present tense. And it means that those who desire to get rich are on an ongoing basis, continually falling into temptation. Could be stealing. Could be cheating. Could be any number of things to try and fulfill this desire to get rich. Paul uses the word snare in verse 9. Like a rabbit that is snared by a trapper or a mouse that is caught in your house. Or how about those voles that come in your yard, huh, Dick? You ever get those voles in your yard, you know, that come and they, they create all of these, uh, uh, like they eat away the grass, those tunnels? If you got trouble with them, talk to Dick. He got uh, 57 of them one year. Trapped them, 57 of them. In fact, he's got a sheet of paper in his garage going back to the 90s, right, Dick? He keeps track of those going back to the 90s. He's got them listed year by year. You've got over 200 bowls, don't you? So if you got trouble, you call Dick. He'll get them for you. Well, that's the picture here. You get caught in a snare. 
You get caught in the trap, and it is the devil's trap, and he is very crafty, even craftier than Dick. And you think you have things under control, and then you're caught. The money trap. And when you get caught, Paul says, you fall into many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men. Notice that. Plunge men into ruin and destruction. It pictures that of of a man that's drowning. And verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. All of those words there, they just, they just, they're like flashing warning lights, aren't they? You get snared, you get trapped, you, you, you plunge to ruin and destruction. You wander from the faith. You pierce yourself with many griefs. Since the love of money is a root of all evil, it has companion sins. Come along with it. John MacArthur says it is hard to imagine a sin that has not been committed for love of money. Such people or such love causes people to indulge themselves, show off, distort justice, take advantage of the poor, lie, cheat, steal, and even murder for the love of money. Do you know the worst thing of all regarding the love of money is the eternal consequences? The word destruction in verse 9 usually refers to the eternal ruin of the soul. And if you look at verse 10, you will see that some longing for money have wandered away from the faith. Didn't Jesus make it clear? He said, You can't serve two masters. For you will love the one and despise the other. And then he applied it. He said, you can't serve God and money. (laughs) It's either or. One of them will be your master. Either it will be the riches of the world, the money that you're chasing after, or it will be God. It can't be both. Because you only can serve one master. So... You really have a choice, don't you? It's either God or money. It's either heaven or hell. It's either contentment or dissatisfaction. And yet as you look at Scripture, you find example after example of those who chose the riches of this world instead of Jesus. Remember the man that we call the rich young ruler? What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus gave him the commandments, do not do this and that. He said, well, I've done all that. He said, okay, sell what you have, give to the poor and come and follow me. And he went away sorrow, grieving because he had much wealth. And that was his God. Demas, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And think of perhaps the most glaring example of this. Think of Judas Iscariot. Treasure of the apostles. 
used to pilfer the money that was brought in. When Jesus was being anointed for his burial, he says, couldn't all this, this, this ointment be saved or sold and money given to the poor? And he's thinking dollar signs. Oh boy, I'd get a lot of that. I could just pilfer a little bit more. Thirty pieces of silver. He betrayed Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold, the hymn writer says. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather be his than have worldwide fame. And I trust that's your testimony today, that you'd rather have Jesus than anything. That he means more to you than any amount of money, anything that the world could offer. Because you realize that the things of this world are passing away. The things of this world do not bring contentment. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy your soul. Only He can give you that contentment that people are longing for. The things of this world, they just will not do it. They will not do it. So don't fall for the money trap. It doesn't bring contentment. It leads to great sorrow. Jesus has a better plan for you. When you know Him as your Savior, you find what true contentment is all about. Both in this life and for all eternity. Let's pray. Oh God, forgive us for the times when we have been discontented with what you've provided. Always looking for more, always trying to find something better, searching after the things of this world that are passing away. God, forgive us and help us to learn what it means to be content. As you work in us, we can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives us strength. Father, teach us. Apply this word to our lives today. For we pray in your name. Amen.